All right. So as we um, as we settle on this lesson forty three, uh, last week we introduced chapter seven, and uh, we've talked a couple times about that opening uh, two sections, which is verses one through six. And but tonight we want to move on into this uh, section, and I'm calling it the struggle. That's what we're going to be in all through chapter 7, the struggle. And um, in chapter 8 will be the solution. Praise God for solutions, right? But the struggle, the last week we talked about the struggle being uh, the opponents. Who are those opponents that are involved in this struggle? And we'll see them again tonight, because last week uh, what we did about probably about half the lesson, if not a little bit more, was kind of vocabulary study of how God refers to us, how the Word refers to us in all the different persons that we are, (laughs) whether we are before Christ, in Christ, um, the flesh, the old self, the new self, the outer man, the inner man, the three-part being, all those different things we looked at, and so... um, if you get out a piece of paper, I told you I was going to test you. So, uh, <laughs> you don't believe that, do you? I don't believe myself because, you know why? I don't want to grade them. So there you are. <laughs> don't give a test if you don't want to grade it. But um, so those are, the, those are the characters. I could have called them the characters. I called them the opponents, but the characters. And um, thank God for the new man. Uh, the new creation that we are in Christ Jesus. Thank God for that. But we also got this other junk. Right? The old self's power is gone, but he's still there because he's not disappeared. Because the old self is dead doesn't mean he's gone. It's just he doesn't have power. But if you want to get him out of the grave and drag him around and uh, whatever, um, say, I wouldn't do that. Really? Yeah, well, let's not let's not get too uh, too specific here. Yeah, we we all get the old man out and drag him around a little bit, but the uh, the truth is that God has given us uh, a position, and that position is that He has taken the power of the old self, and God removed the power. That's what is dead, the power. So if the old man is going to have power, we have to give it. We have to lend it power. And so that's really the struggle that chapter 7 is all about. And so we'll see a number of different ways that Paul presents this. Now we're going we're gonna to start in this section in verse 7. If you want to see the full context of, of this, turn to the back page. And um, we'll come back to this back page in just a little bit. I printed the whole uh, section here, chapter 7, verse 7 through 25. We're only going to cover the first uh, 13 verses, uh, or 7 through 13 tonight, and then we'll talk about the other next week. But this is uh, law and the law. And I wanted you to have this colorized version, right? So you can see that. If you don't like the colors, you print your own next time. But um, the law, the commandment, all the things that refer to the law and the commandment I highlighted in blue. But I want you to also notice all the little pronouns highlighted in yellow. I, me, my, myself. That's an awful lot, isn't it? <laughs> Would you say Paul's kind of got hung up on himself here? <laughs> Nobody's speaking biographically. And so the first part of this, uh, if you look on that back page, again the first part, uh, verse, <clears throat> verse 7 through 13 talks about the natural man. This is the man before regeneration. This is who Paul was before he got born again. And then in verses 14 through 25, it's the regenerated man under assault from the flesh, the old self. And so we'll see that, but uh, 
I just want to read verses 7 through 13. We'll start with that tonight. So, uh, Romans chapter 7, verse 7 says, What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. God forbid. (laughs) Absolutely not, however you want to say it. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. That's my best. God voice. (laughs) But sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came in, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me, and through it killed me. The law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment, might become sinful beyond measure. Okay, interesting passage, right? So this is uh, a reference, as uh, we we will cover more uh, in depth uh, toward later in the lesson. But let's go back to the front page. And I just put there at the top, the law is good. The law is good. You say, no, law is bad. God redeemed us from the law. No, he didn't redeem you from the law. He redeemed you from the curse of having to live by the law. The law is good. Paul says so. So, what are we going to say about that? So the struggle says the law is good, but then why does it make me feel so uncomfortable and why does he say the law killed me or did he say that hang on okay top of the page Romans 7 verse 10 says the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me for sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So the believer, because of the new birth, we have eternal life. That eternal life has changed us. Where? Within. By faith, let's look at these verbs. By faith we were justified. There's some verses for you. Reconciled. Forgiven. Sealed with the Holy Spirit. Recreated in his image. Baptized into his body. And much more. So through faith, all of that is a reality for us. Is that true? Are you you not justified, reconciled, forgiven, sealed, recreated, and baptized? Are you not? Yeah, you are. That's, those are realities. Where? Within. And that's something that a lot of Christian believers do not understand because there's not been a lot of teaching on these things for a lot of people, though they're right here in the book of Romans. If more preachers, cheap teachers, taught books of the New Testament verse by verse, you'd cover all these things. But because commonly we teach topics and therefore we cover certain aspects of the Christian life, we don't often cover some of these verses. Now, just in case you say, well, it's wrong you know, to teach topically, um, Paul did. Almost all of Paul's letters are topical. They become expository 
to us because he's written them now. <laughs> They're the word of God. But when Paul was preaching, he usually preached topically. He would preach a subject or two or three subjects and put it together in a letter. So he was answering questions, dealing with issues. Paul did exactly what a lot of preachers do. And that's there's nothing wrong with topical preaching because it helps to direct people's attention to certain things. But in doing that, we can lose track of some of the things that we wouldn't cover. So like, when is the last time you would hear a pastor get up and say, so we're going to talk about being baptized into death. Okay, put that out on your little marquee at the front of the church and see how many people will come in. <laughs> baptized into death? Really? I think I'll find another church to go to this week. You know, and so there's things that we teach that are because we teach through the Word. Now, you are all believers, are you not? I think it's everyone in the room is a believer. Are you not? Yes. Everybody say yes. yes. And you all have a Bible? Yes. Though you didn't all bring them tonight. You have Bibles. And you can do what? You can read your Bible. So even if the preacher doesn't preach these verses, you can read them. Say, well, I don't know. I... You don't know what the Spirit can teach you if you just read his word. He is the teacher, you know, and he lives inside of you. I'm way off track. <laughs> but I'm preaching to somebody. Amen. Because these are, these are things that we need to know, but we don't know them because we don't read them. And we don't meditate in these things. So you come to 43 lessons of Jeff Jackson teaching on the book of Romans. And you say, okay, it's not been a year yet, right? Because we're not on lesson 52. <laughs> so I am moving along. Three weeks we were in chapter 5. You're right. We were. But, so here's the point. All these things are realities, but they're realities inwardly. And so what we, what we began to see, especially as Paul brought it out in chapter 5 and then into chapter 6, is that there's two natures in us. There's that old self, and there's the new self. And the new self has all those things that I just read. That's who you are justified, reconciled, forgiven, sealed, recreated, and baptized, and so much. You are all those things. That's who you are in the recreated being called your new man, your new creation. But you also have a body. So the spiritual truths that we just read, those are permanent. I noticed the notes there. Permanent, positional, internal. They don't change. But they're inner realities. They're permanent. They're positional. They're not temporal. And they're eternal. They're not going to change. The fact that you've been justified will never change. The fact that you've been recreated in his image can never change. So those are all truths. The outer man, however, has not been changed. Our body and its members... So we talked about the body last week. We talked about the members. The body is the being that you are. Outwardly, your members are the parts of your body that interact with this world around us. Right? So the body and its members are a part of us. They are part of us that is in contact with all this natural world and therefore is what? Subject to the things in the natural world. My body is subject to temperature because it's out there my eyes are subject to light and darkness because it's out there and God made them that way I'm also subject to pressure physical pressure and what mental pressure I'm subject to emotional pressure I'm also subject to temptations I'm subject to passions that lead me to things of God, like joy and 
awe and the splendor of God. Isn't that wonderful that you can feel that and sense that and have interaction with those things? But that also means that you're also subject to the things of this world, which can discourage you and tempt you into things that you didn't want to do, things you weren't even thinking about. Polar bear. Now you're all thinking of polar bear. See, there's, I didn't even think about it until you said it. Now I can't think of anything else but polar bears. So this, this outward body has tendency to want to direct me. But the old self is what? Four-letter word, dead, means it doesn't have power. So if my body, my flesh wants to follow those things on the outside, the temptations of the world, then I have to give it the power to do it. So Paul talked about it in Romans chapter 6. Don't yield yourself to sin. Paul wouldn't say that if we couldn't do it. Or if we didn't what? Didn't do it. It's nice to say, well, I, I, I wouldn't do it. Yeah, no, let's just talk about the fact that you did do it. Right? We have yielded to sin. Don't, he said. Don't yield your body to sin. Your members to unrighteousness. Don't, don't do that. Instead, yield yourself to righteousness. Yield yourself to God. So the yield is in between those two things, isn't it? You can go that way. Not saying people on this side of the room aren't to sin as you. Or this way. You can go Old self or righteousness in God? But the yielding is up to you. So these are things that Paul wants to clarify, and that's the struggle he's talking about. In chapter 6, Paul talked about the struggle of sanctification. In Chapter 8, he's going to talk about the solution to sanctification. We'll get there. But here we got to look at this struggle. I'm sorry, chapter 6 was the principle. Chapter 7 is the struggle. And Paul's going to use the law as, in a sense, as the element. It's, it's going to become his, his, his uh, term that he's going to use to show what you're doing, what's going on. So he's going to use the law as a divine element by which the struggle is revealed. We who are in Christ can know certain things, but the law was given to reveal to mankind what was right with God and what was not. God didn't just put Adam in the earth and say, so whatever. But if you do whatever, you're going to die. God didn't put him in the law and just say, you know, just guess. You know, can I do this right? Is that right? Is this wrong? Is that wrong? God told him, didn't he? So also the law reveals what God considers righteousness, holiness, ways that he would live and sin ways which are in rebellion to him. So God revealed all those things. He did it to Adam and the law does it for us. Now, if you go over again, turn over to that last page, the back page, and you look down through there, you can see how much in this passage the law, sometimes it's called the written code or the commandment, but you can see how much that shows up. Is that amazing? In just these verses? It's over 25 times. The law or something in relating to the law is found. So this goes on and on and on. The law is there. Now, a few times you'll see uh, highlighted those in black where it just says a law or law. That just simply means a rule. There are natural rules. Gravity is a natural rule. It's not part of the law. Gravity is just a law. Right? And so there are laws. And so he talks about that 
some, but most of it is reference to the law. And those are principles that God has established. The problem is, when people are born into this world, when people are born, you know, before Moses and since Jesus Christ, everybody who's been born, they didn't know the law. Most people, they couldn't tell you the law. Some people can guess at some of the Ten Commandments, but they can't guess at the 613 commandments. But they're all there. Different ways that God has said. Now, how many know that if God gave us 613, he could probably give us 6,013? Yeah, he could. Because anything that is not desiring God is sin. Anything that is not following the things of God, desiring him, looking to please him, is sin. So, there's all kinds of things, but God revealed those so that his people, Israel, would know. And the purpose of them knowing was so that they could show that there are things that please God and things that don't. They couldn't be saved by doing those things because the law can't save you. Did God know that, or did he, did he just make a mistake? God knew that, but he gave them the law so that they would have revelation. So that's what Paul is really going to talk about as we talk about this struggle. Now, one point I mentioned there in the middle of your page one is, who is the I, me, my, and myself? Who is that? Well, that's you. That wasn't a sneeze. That is you. Okay? I, me, myself, my. All of those things are about me. A couple places Paul uses the word you. But that's, that's you, the person. So, when Paul is writing this, who is the I, me, my, and myself? Who is that in Paul's in, in this chapter? Who is it? It's Paul. He's not talking about someone else. He's talking about Paul. This is me. That's why he uses the pronouns, I, me, my, myself. So over and over he uses those. You can see that. Again, look at that back page. It's, it's amazing how many times he uses these phrases. And he doesn't go through all the commandments and all the things that he could possibly do wrong. He brings out one thing. One thing. And that one thing is what? To covet. So we'll get to that in just a minute. Now this struggle is between, notice there it's about the bottom third of your page, the struggle is between the already and the not yet. In verses 7 through 13, believers can look back at their old person, the old self, who they were before they believed in Jesus Christ. So verses 7 through 13, if you want to put you in there, that's you before you got saved. All right? That's you. Verses 14 through 25, that's you since you got saved. That's the regenerated person. That's the not yet. The already is about what God did because he needed to save you. And so he did what? All those things at the top of the page. He justified you. He reconciled you. He recreated you in his image. All those things that God did for you. Those have already been done. Justification. And how God is continuing to save us is sanctification. So God is still working in us to sanctify us, to bring us to the wholeness. But there's also a not yet. There's things that God has not yet done for us. And that Paul talks specifically about in Romans chapter 8, verses 23 through 25. He talks about that we are saved by hope. Uh, no, 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 no. We're saved by faith. We're saved by fact. No, we're saved by hope. What part of you is saved by hope? What part of you is saved by hope? Your body. Your body. Because your body's not going to be saved until we are transformed in his image and likeness through the resurrection. This vile body, Paul says in Colossians chapter, uh, or Philippians chapter 1, chapter 2, sorry. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. I'll get it right. Philippians 3, verse 20. That this vile body will be transformed. It will be changed. 
John says, will be changed in a moment. We will take on that very image of Christ. So, that's the not yet. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, we're saved by hope. Because that which is hope is not yet seen. Because if it's already seen, you don't need to have faith for it. But there is something out there. So, I'm not fully... I almost hate to say this, but I'm not fully saved yet. My spirit man is saved, recreated his image and likeness. My soul is in process. That's called renewing the mind. My soul is in process. My body, not till Jesus appears. So even death doesn't change your body. It's just laying in the grave till Jesus descends, and then we will all be changed in a moment, twinkling of an eye. All right, so... There is, a, there is a salvation that's not yet. There's a salvation that's past. There's a salvation that's present, ongoing. That's sanctification. But there's a salvation that is not yet. And that is what is ahead. And this is where we enter into this struggle. Because my body is not yet changed. Now Peter says... There's a, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain. Who abstains? You do. That's, that's your choice. You abstain. So you can put the pronoun you there. You abstain from the passions of the flesh. You. Not God has abstained you, which doesn't even make sense, but... Now, God has kept you from passions of the flesh. No, you abstain, meaning you could stain, but abstain. All right, so don't. You could participate, don't. You could involve yourself, but don't. So you abstain from passions of the flesh, which wage war against what? Your soul. They are waging war against your soul. And so that, that verse is not commonly used, and it, it's, well, that's not even Paul. Yeah, so yes, it's not like only Paul knew these truths. Peter brings it up also. So, here's what happens. Is the law sinful? No. no. But we cannot place ourselves outside of its rule. We can't take ourselves outside of the rule of the law. We can't place ourselves under it as if if we lived by the law we'd be saved, but we cannot put ourselves outside of it either because the law is what? What did we read before? It's holy, it's righteous, and it's good. So if it's those things, then it still is a principle. But we can't live by it. So the struggle in Christians' lives, in many believers' lives, is, well, if I have to live by the law, then that's legalism, and you better not do this, and you better not do that, and you better do these things, and you better live by all these rules, and we're going to give you rules. God didn't want us to live by rules, but that doesn't mean that we're not under the rule of the law, because the law is still what? Holy, righteous, and good. So how am I going to fulfill God's holy and righteous and good demands? His holy, righteous, and good principles. How am I going to, how am I going to do that? That's the struggle of chapter 7. I can't do them by putting myself under the law. Why? Because that didn't work. It didn't help anybody. And Paul's going to show us that all putting yourself under the law does is kills you. It shows you that you can't live by it. But God has a solution, and I'm going to give you a hint. It's not like you don't know. But here's the hint, Romans chapter 8, verse 3. God has done for us what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. God has done, and you can put the phrase for us, what the law, weakened by the flesh, because of the flesh, the law couldn't do this. Why? Because the law can't change your flesh. It can just tell you it's wrong. The law weakened by flesh could not do. How did he do it? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. See, Jesus wasn't sinful flesh. He was what? 
the likeness of the, everything about him looked just like everybody else but he wasn't just like everybody else he didn't have that sin nature he wasn't born with the nature of Adam and so he was able to live a life sinless but he looked like he lived like everyone else and he could die so he took upon himself sin and he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us in this next phrase read it together who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit so if you're going to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law you're going to have to do what walk by the spirit not by the flesh hmm sounds like something Paul put in Galatians chapter 5 alright top of the next page the law is revelation so here's what we get the law as Paul presents it here in chapter 7 verses 7 through 13 the law as he presents it is revealing some things to us and the things it's going to reveal have to do with sin the law is not sin that's the question that this sarcastic arrogant opponent has thrown at him well so you say the law is sin we've been redeemed from the law why because the law is sin and so god's going to take the law out of the way because the law kills us this guy is just really getting under paul's skin right and the guy just throws out this assault now personally i believe that these are quotations of things that he's hearing from people telling him what's going on in the church in Rome that these questions are being circulated that these things are being said what then shall we say that the law is sin so is that what you're teaching is that what you're saying Paul if I'm hearing you right that's what you're saying the law is sin by no means sorry if I'm shouting but (laughs) Paul would if he shouted in his letter God forbid absolutely not so what Paul responds with is his response how ridiculous got this from one of my commentaries how could you get that from anything I just said there's nothing that I have just said that would even give you the idea that I just said the law is sin oh that's what I heard how many have ever had somebody tell you that you said something that you didn't say well I just heard you say no I did not say that you know what you didn't say so and these people are people that just cannot come to the place of the free gift of grace and that phrase again I just the free gift of grace it's not just grace it's not just a free gift it's the free gift of grace man how incredible is this salvation that God has given us it's a free gift of grace but they just can't bring themselves to that without going either to law legalism or license so you're saying the law is sin so let's just forget it and walk away from it no what Paul is going to present is that there's nothing in this that reveals that the law is sin Instead, the law reveals the fact of sin. So the law is only going to point out the fact of sin, the fact that there is such thing as sin. Paul looks back at his own experience. This is his unregenerate time. This is before he came to know Jesus as the Messiah. All right, so in that period of time, he looks back at that whole track of life and Paul lived as a very very committed Jew right committed to the law a Pharisee he was totally enmeshed in the law and he lived that way but there was a time when he was alive before he knew the law like that 
And so he refers all the way back to that time before he even knew what the law was. As a child, somewhere along in Paul's early years of life, he came to know the law. And so he refers back to that period of time. Paul looks back at his own experience. His unregenerate state. Now, he was unregenerate even when he was under the law. Right? Because the law didn't save him. All the law did is pointed out his sin. And he's going to say that. All of this time, even under the law. So you can be a legalist, totally committing yourself to the law, and unregenerate. An unbeliever. Because you've never accepted the free gift of grace. That you can't live by the law because the law can't save you. And so he's come to this before he became conscious of his moral responsibilities. He said, I didn't know sin until the law revealed it. So what does he say? Let's read the verse, verse 7. What did so say? The law is sin by no means. If, I had not, if it had not been for the law, I would have not known sin. He didn't say, if it had not been for the law, I wouldn't have sinned. He said, I wouldn't have what? known can we add the phrase what sin is what sin was I would have not known what it is to covet and so he throws in this one command command number 10 coveting now the thing with coveting is coveting is entirely inward everything else in the law commandments 1 through 9 have to do with some outward demonstration but you have done something to break God's law. And we'll see down at the bottom of your page that each one of those things required death. But they all have some outward demonstration. Coveting has no outward demonstration. It's just you want to. I didn't commit adultery, but I wanted to. I didn't steal but I wanted to. I didn't murder the person, but I wanted to. I didn't lie, but I thought about it. I didn't worship other gods. I've thought about it. I'm, please, I'm not talking about myself. Please, in none of these, I'm talking about myself. This is Paul. So he pulls that coveting, because coveting is like the least of sins. I just, I didn't, I didn't kill the person. Who else talked about that aspect of the law? Jesus did. If you say you hate your brother, hate word is already, it's an inward side. I want him dead. I want him gone. I want him out of the way. I hate this person. They have no right to be on the earth. They need to be gone. That's coveting. You're desiring something that you have no right to desire. And so it's an inward thing. He said, if you hate your brother, you've committed murder already. If you lust after a woman, you've committed adultery already. So Jesus talks about the same principle. So what does Paul say? If the law had not said, you shall not covet... I wouldn't have known what coveting was. Does that mean he didn't do it no. before the law? No. no. He did. He just didn't know it was a sin. He was doing it. He didn't know it was a sin. And so that's, what, that's when Paul says the law killed me. As we're going to say here in just a few minutes. I wouldn't have known it had it not been for the law. Okay, point number two. The law reveals the occasion of sin. The, the reality, the fact that I am going to do it. But sin, verse 8, but sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment, you shall not covet. Sin grabbed a hold of that and produced me all kinds of covetousness. It's like, man, I didn't know what coveting was, but now... I do it all the time. I already was. I just didn't know it was sin. But now I can say, well, that was. Oh, that was. <laughs> that really was. This was. That was. Right? 
That was. The thing about coveting is you can't point it out in other people. You can't see it in other people, but you can know it in you. It takes honesty. It takes truthfulness. It's an inward thing. And so he says, so now it awakened that because in the verse 8, apart from the law, sin lies dead. That doesn't mean that if there was no law, you wouldn't be in sin. You are. You just don't know it. You didn't know it. If we don't tell people that the only way to salvation is through Jesus Christ, does that change the fact that if they don't know Jesus Christ, they're going to go to hell? Just because they don't know it? Does that change it? No. Because that is the command given to the entire world. There is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved except the name of Jesus Christ. So why do we go to parts of the world? Why do we send missionaries? Why do we translate the Bible? Why do we send people and offerings and help ministers who are doing this work? Because the whole world is going to hell unless they believe in Jesus Christ. You say that's so harsh. It's just truth. But they don't know it. Right. So go tell them. Don't sit there in your self-righteous little pew and say, well, you know, I don't think it's fair that they got to go to hell and they didn't know it. Well, then go and tell them. Instead of just complaining. Okay, that was a thrilling response. <laughs> but law seizing this opportunity killed me. Because apart from the law, sin lies dead. Apart from the law, I cannot find salvation because I didn't know I needed a Savior. You say, well, we shouldn't preach sin to the world. If they don't know they're in sin, they don't know they need a Savior. I'm not saying go out and preach hellfire and damnation. I'm not saying, you know, go send everybody to hell, preach people into the grave. I didn't say that. But the point is, if people don't know that they're in sin, they don't know they need a Savior. And if they don't know they need a Savior, they will not call. And if they don't call, they cannot be saved. Toward the bottom of the page, the law reveals the power of sin. It doesn't just reveal the fact, and it doesn't just reveal the occasion, the fact that I did sin. It also reveals the power of it. Romans 7 verse 9 says, I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment, thou shalt not covet, but when the commandment came, sin came alive, and I died. Well, that says, you know, that Paul had life, he was already alive. No, he was alive in ignorance. I was alive in ignorance. Was he still a sinner? Was he still coveting? Yes. But he didn't know that what he was doing was a sin against God. So then the law came in. I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive. That doesn't mean there was no sin before that. It's just that now it's like, oh, that's sin. I shouldn't do that. And when he found out he shouldn't do that, he what? I died. I realized that what I was doing was a direct violation of God's holiness. That I was living a life away from God's purpose and intention for my life. And so the law revealed the power of sin. That sin had me in its hold, and I didn't even know it. There are things in my life that I knew were, were so vile that I was doing before I got saved. So offensive. But there's a lot of things that I didn't know that I was doing that were offense against God until I came to salvation. And then I could look back and say, wow, that was, 
That was awful. Those attitudes, those thoughts, those desires, those intentions, all those purposes. Not just things I didn't do and things that I did do, but things I wanted to do. And so all of a sudden, all these things got pointed out. When I got saved, they started being revealed. How many know that they're still being revealed? You're still remembering things and saying, oh, that was, that was really wrong. Do you need to be forgiven of that now? No. You already are. You're already forgiven. You just need to realize, God forgave me of that. And do what? Offer him praise. Thank him. You saved me from things that I didn't even know were wrong. So evil. And now the more I know about you, the more I see about your word, the more I understand your holiness and your righteousness, the more I realize how great this salvation is. I'm not being forgiven of things that I did because I didn't confess them. I'm being for, I'm realizing the forgiveness that I had, and it's bringing forth thanksgiving and praise in my life. So these are things. Now, I just put down here the bottom of the page and then going on to the top of the next page. The law brings death. These are the Ten Commandments, right? So this is just the ten. And each one of these commandments, no other God in my presence, idolatry, using the Lord's name in vain, enforcing the Sabbath day, all those things, every one of them, there's the verse, Exodus 20-something, and then the next section over, Exodus 22, etc., those are all the commands of death. Every law had a commandment of death attached to it. Every one of the ten. And we go all the way down to number 10, covetousness. There it is, Exodus 20, verse 17, thou shalt not covet. And he goes on into a few different things. But you say, well, but there's no verse that says that you, you know, coveting will bring forth death. No, the death is associated with the object you're coveting. If you wanted to murder, go back up to murder. If you wanted to steal, see steal, <laughs> and you die. All right. So each one of those things, I didn't, I didn't disobey my parents. I just wanted to go back up to honor your parents. All right. So I know that's one that is so strange to any of us that we probably wouldn't even know honoring our parents. Okay, I'll just move on from that. But see, so each one of these things has a death sentence attached to it. So the law points out all these things and it says, you deserve to die. But Jesus Christ has brought you life. I'm forgiven of (laughs) every one of those things. And the more I understand what God has forgiven me from, the more security and strength I have in what he's done. Okay, point number four, the law reveals the effect of sin. Not only does it show its power, its occasion, its reality, it also shows its effect. What is the effect of sin? Death. Yeah, okay, you already said that. Yeah, but Paul says it again. The effect is death. Look at verse 10, Romans 7.10. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. And verse 11 goes on and through it killed me. The very commandment that promised life. What do you mean it promised life? When God gave his words, it was, if you do these things, you'll live. If you do these things, you'll live. If you do these things, you'll be blessed. If you do these things, you'll have my my presence. If you do these things, so the the purpose of the command was to bring forth what? Blessing, life. The purpose of the command was so you would know how to live. Adam, eat of all the trees, don't eat that one. What's the purpose? Life. Look at all the life that you can have. Enjoy everything. But don't do that. The purpose of the command is to produce life. The command, thou shalt not covet, was to say, hey, don't covet. Because if you don't covet, then you can enjoy my life. 
You can enjoy the presence and the goodness of God. Why should you covet if God's going to take care of all your needs? He's going to take care of the things he wants you to have. If God is your provider, if he's going to take care of, of all your needs and supply and bring you all these things, then why do you need to covet? Why do you need what somebody else has? Why do you need that person out of your way? Trust in me. Right? So the purpose of the law was to provide life. But when I realized I violated it, it produced death. And so the thing that was given to provide life proved to be death, and through the commandment, killed me. So God's commandment is unto death. Every one of the commandments resulted in death. Every statement that God makes, the violation of God's holiness results in death. And so the commandment was to give you life, but because you couldn't do it, it produces death. And what the law reveals is my inability to fulfill the law. Point number five, the law reveals the deceitfulness of sin. I thought I was a pretty good person. How many before you got saved thought you were a pretty good person? I'm pretty good. Yeah. Paul had a very elevated sense of himself. <laughs> Philippians chapter 3. That is a pretty good person. But the law reveals the deceitfulness. Sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. Sin rose up and said, You will not covet. And in doing that, it seized me and killed me. And so the law uh, revealed that I had been deceived, that I could covet and it would be okay that I could covet because I didn't know that it was wrong, that I could steal because I didn't know it was wrong, that I could lie because I didn't know it was wrong, that I could worship other gods because I didn't know it was wrong. No, it doesn't do that. It just it's deceived you. And so you've been deceived thinking that what you can do is okay because you didn't know the law. But the law comes up and realizes, no, I've been deceived. And so now we know that the law being revealing that we've been deceived through it kills us. The law kills us. Yes? No. Because it's not the law that killed you. What killed you? The sin. It's the sin that killed you. The law just revealed you need to die. That's that's what the law revealed, that you just have to die. But Paul phrases it in the French that the law killed me. It killed me because I realized I'd been in sin, and therefore I deserved to die. So that's how he re- is referring to this. The demand of the law, and the more we try to f- fulfill it, the more we fail. The more we try to do the things, the more we realize we can't do those things. We're soon left in a hopelessness, and we say, well, I'll just quit. And then you've just given yourself over to death. It is the sin that kills us, not the law. It's just that the law demands that the penalty of disobedience is death. And so the law demands the death because we violated it. Then finally we come to verse 10. And I, I pulled this phrase out of almost every commentary I picked up. In this verse, they all use this phrase, the sinfulness of sin. And I know that's kind of a multiplication of words, but it's it's really is we don't think sin is as bad as it is until we realize how bad it is. So the law reveals the sinfulness of sin. The law is holy. The commandment is holy and righteous and good. So, if that's true, then did that which is good bring death to me? If the law is righteous and holy and good, then how is it that it killed me? It killed you because what? Because it revealed your sin. It revealed that you could not live by these righteous, holy demands of God. 
And so you could not fulfill the things that he was demanding. And this is the way that God is revealing. The more we understand these truths, the more we realize, I don't have to live like the world. Now, he's going to get to that in verses 14 through 25, where he now is struggling. But here he's still just revealing uh, his, his past life. But before I knew all of this law, but then I came to know the law, and all I found was death. I am dead. I'm a dead man. And I don't have any way out. And so he needs some kind of help. So did that which is good bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good. What is good? The law. In order that sin might be shown to be sin. It's like, well, sin shown to be sin? Yeah, you didn't know it was, but now you do. And that through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. That the more I look at God's law, the more I realize how sinful a person I am. I need what? I need a saver. I need somebody to save me. I need some way out. I, I can't live by this way. I need somebody who's going to pay the price for me. Well, God had said that since the fall. That there was going to be someone who's going to pay the price for you. And that was what was there in all of the law. It wasn't you doing the law. You couldn't. It wasn't in you offering the sacrifices. Because the sacrifices were animal blood, not your blood. It's your blood that was demanded, not an animal's blood. You needed somebody who was going to take your place and die for you. What do we call him? Our Redeemer, our Kinsman, the Messiah, the Hope, the Savior. He is all those things. He was the Lamb that God had intended for mankind. And so all of those things, the law pointed to all of that. I just didn't know I needed it. As I read the, the Gospels, it's not hard to realize that when Jesus said, I came to preach the Gospel to the poor, the word poor means the destitute, the desperate, that the Pharisees never saw themselves in that category. I didn't see myself as needing salvation until I was desperate, destitute. Tim's got a testimony that will just draw tears, you know, from deep within of how destitute you can be. How far away from God. And each one of us could share some kind of a testimony along that line of what God has done. But we had to come to a place where we realized we needed a Savior. And that's the purpose of the law. You need a Savior. Well, I'll just live by the law. You can't live by the law. It just proved it to you. You can't live by this. Because the more you put yourself under the law, the more sin you have. Well, I did this one. Well, at least I did part of it. Okay, I did a little bit of it. I did some of it. Okay, I did some of it. Uh, I, I tried to. There you are. But I didn't do any of it. I can't live by the law. And you couldn't be saved by the law. And that's all Paul was talking about. You say, well, Jeff, we know all of this. We've been in through this. We've been studying this. I know. But Paul is saying these are things that we as believers need to know so that we can talk to people who need to hear and we can have a passion for people who haven't heard. Because they're out there and they don't know how destitute they are. They don't know how far away from God they are. And God has given us this glorious truth. God's law is holy, it's righteous, and it's good. It's holy because by necessity it reveals Him, and He is holy. Holy simply means separate, distinct, not like anything else. What God wants from us is not like anything else. It's to be exclusive. God wants you to be exclusive to him. He's holy. It's righteous because it's just. It's, it's the right thing to do. 
God's law is the right thing to do. It's always right. Righteous. It's always just. Justice. It's, it's what's the purpose, the very plan. If, if righteousness is, in a sense, being on equal status with God, if God is righteous and doing all things right, then we should be in that same plane. Inwardly we are, but how's your outer man? It's referring to righteousness and justice. Are you righteous and just in your relationships with people? Are we righteous and just in dealing with the world around us? Are we righteous and just in dealing with our family and with, with our uh, friends and people that we work with, with people out in the street? Are we righteous and just? Okay, I'm going to pass over that because it's bringing uncomfortableness to the room. And his, his law is good. It's good. There's good and there's bad. God's law is good. Always good. Why? Because God's always good. Through him is beneficialness. That's the root for the word for good. The idea of of having great benefit that goes along with it. It's good. But that's by God's evaluation, not by man's. It's what God says is good. See, it's good for me if Alabama wins, but Obviously, that doesn't always happen. It's good for God if he wins, and he does. So in all of this, what do we say? Is the law sin? Paul says that's an impossible thing to say. There is no possibility that the law could be sin. So is the law sin? No. But the law does direct us to the one who can deliver us from this. The law cannot produce life, and it cannot bring forth um, joy and righteousness and goodness in us. It's sin that kills us. But as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 56, the strength of the law The strength of sin is the law. The thing that shows the strength of sin is the law. Thank God we've been redeemed. Amen? Okay, so next week we'll look at this struggle that Paul faces. And the struggle there, my title next week, the struggle is me. All right? And by that I don't mean Jeff Jackson. So. All right, so let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word.